In every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the Slayer. Maurice and I are hot off the presses of watching a Buffy episode and also a Buffy Riverdale crossover in the form of the new Netflix film, Do Revenge. Yeah, it's important to address this right at the top that there's... Actually, that's perfectly timed. Mm -hmm. Wow. So there's this new movie on Netflix that uh, I was about to say all of our uh, listeners have probably heard of. But then I remembered that all of our listeners are mostly our parents. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) Um, but it's actually a perfect movie. It's Camilla Mendez who plays Veronica on Riverdale. And and Sarah Michelle Gellar, who plays Buffy on Buffy. <laughs> and while we're naming names, I'm Olivia. Oh, and I'm Marisa. And this is Marisa and Olivia's Weird Fantasy, back in person. Okay. We're Olivia and Marisa from Olivia and Marisa's <laughs> room. <laughs> oh, right. So this movie was so good. It was really good. And importantly, it was the Riverdale-Buffy crossover that we deserved. And today we're talking about Buffy and Riverdale. Yeah. And by we, I mean Marisa has come to me. (laughs) She She has done her homework, which she's done throughout her life by being addicted to the show Buffy. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I want to start by saying I do think that Buffy is Riverdale's like natural predecessor from like the CW teen show of it all. Yeah, it's kind of like reading Leaves of Grass and then reading Howl. It's exactly like that. It's actually exactly like that. And I think everyone would agree. What if we just put in a full-length recording of <laughs> Leaves of Grass then a full-length <laughs> recording of Howl? <laughs> but it's the Daria. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I have seen the best jugheads of my generation. <laughs> we talk about Howl on this podcast, like, maybe more than is normal, but about as much as is correct for the two of us. Yeah, I'm like, you're saying that as if you don't have a Howl tattoo. Also, right at the top, I told Olivia I was gonna do this. <laughs> we have both a spoiler warning for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is a show that ended in the 2000s. Okay, but I have one specific friend who's still on season six. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can... I guess that's fair. I actually don't think I'm going to spoil season seven. Actually, let me just describe the plot of Buffy to everyone. (laughs) No. Um, But also, I, in my research, uh, by which I mean when I thought about this for a minute... Um, I realized that Columbine is going to come up not once, but twice during this episode. So uh, if you'd like, I don't know, a similar thing could happen with the airing of Earshot. Like, if you are listening to this episode, which we recorded at not a bad time to be talking about school shootings at a time when you're like, I don't really want to talk about school shootings right now. Okay, let's get into it. Yeah, so Buffy is the now. I mean... Just outside of any Buffy content, I do think it is a really important show in terms of teen dramas. Oh, yeah. Because it really took the teen drama seriously. Yes. In a way that was kind of unique. And it was focused on teenage girls at the beginning. And then you get this very nice kind of transition where Buffy is kind of going through her life. Mm -hmm. Like you get high school, you get college, and then you get kind of young adulthood. And it did that 
to me, pretty naturally in a way that I still think is kind of rare with shows. Like they either kind of stay in high school too long or they need to do these time jumps that we get in Riverdale and Pretty Little Liars and things like that. You pretty organically watch her like grow up. And I do think that's something that's interesting about the show, which starts with her being like, a 16-year-old that has just been told she's the vampire slayer, the one in all the world, and she's, like, pissed about it and, like, is not super mature about it. But she quickly ages so fast. But also, like, I think they do a really good job balancing her obvious, like, maturity that she has to have to be responsible for the amount that she's responsible for. But also, like... That she's still, uh, for most of the show, still a teenager and, like, I guess half of the show. She just, like, also really likes fashion and she is a little boy crazy and that's cute of her. And she has her cute little hairstyles and she likes going to the little club in Sunnydale. And that's all, like, an important part of her character as much as when she's, like, a very responsible and thoughtful and selfless person, you know? Okay, so Buffy started coming out in 97. Like, I just think it's interesting, too, because it's at the same moment as, like, Sex in the City in terms of television history and where you're getting, like, women who really care about fashion, but then you still get to do, like, fun things with them. Yeah, and have them have full personalities. They're not just, like, visual objects. Mm-hmm. And also, I think something that is so fun about Buffy is the monster of the week kind of structure of the mm-hmm. show. And... I was just talking about how I kind of miss this, where, like, we have so few shows now where you still get, like, 22 episodes, and, like, they're mostly standalone with, like, some general arcs over the season. And it's a fun, it's, like, a very classic TV structure, but I do think it's interesting that, like, that is still kind of common in teen shows. But again, it's disappearing. Like, we can see shows are getting canceled left and right, and very few network shows are even 22 episodes anymore. About Riverdale yeah keeping it through I feel like that is also just like the streaming mm-hmm. uh, format instead of like because when things are being released as vaguely bingeable they're usually like eight to twelve episodes yeah you know and so like I feel like we did just kind of change the structure of our seasons which is like a slightly different story arc and there's a lot more room for little week-to-week fun in the 20-some episode seasons. And with Buffy, because of the way that that structure of TV shows goes, is that you get audience reaction and you can actually make changes, like, based on the audience reacting to things. And so, like, I think that's another interesting aspect of it where, like, there... I don't know. Like, Joss Whedon, I think, is a very controversial figure for a lot of very good reasons. But I do think, like, the way he interacted with fans and, like, in the space of fandom, which Buffy is so crucial for like is really interesting and the way that like the show evolves and then like the comics after like evolve because fans were like a huge part of that which I think is just interesting yeah and also as like a show in the late 90s and like a pretty long-running show it was like one of not one of the first but like because fanzines have existed since like the 40s i think no since like even the eight like even but like male yeah 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 by male okay but you know what I mean. Like yeah, fan Star culture, Trek. yeah, fan culture around stuff has existed since media it has existed. But like with the rise of the internet, like that just became a much more palpable thing. And Buffy was one of the shows that had like 
a thing called like a public board that they all called the PB and like, you know, where people would post and stuff. And it was like a lot about, you know, fans. And there was like an interactivity between the fans and the creators where like the creators will put like little Easter eggs to it in the show. Like there's one episode where they're listing people's like strengths and weaknesses on a board and they write PB crazed for Cordelia, which you could read as her being obsessed with peanut butter, which would also be a funny quality. (laughs) But like they liked to like put little references in for the fans that were engaging with this like slightly more intense version of fan culture, which is really fun because like it does foster community like that. And I think Buffy's a show that like is such a cult classic and has so many of those aspects of like different online community spaces. Like Buffy was one of the first shows where like they had an academic field named after it. Like there's the field of Buffyology. No, I was about to say like, I do think the way that people took Buffy seriously and the like impact it had on media studies is so important. Yeah. And just also fun. Like, I don't know, it's literally a good show. And like, that's not a controversial take, but I feel like what you're saying about kind of like Riverdale being a child of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like that's so accurate. And also how Riverdale like constructs itself at the beginning where it's like, let me introduce all these like parents of our main characters who are tied to these like quintessential pieces of 90s media. And like, what could be more informative to Riverdale than something that's taking like supernatural aspects, but also like teen relationship drama aspects and kind of combining those in ways that like the supernatural stuff will parallel the, you know, social lives. And like both of them are still very rooted in the real world and in real life relationships, even when they get crazy with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. on that, do you want to do you want to start talking about Jughead and Buffy? Yeah. So Jughead is Buffy. End of podcast. <laughs> No, Um, basically, I've been collecting clues, hints, evidence in my case about Jughead being Buffy. Throughout the show, Buffy doesn't have a narrator. Riverdale does. That is one different thing. But obviously, Buffy is the titular character of the show. She's like very clearly the person whose perspective this story is being told from. And that also, I think, is true in Riverdale. But another thing is just this idea of like the outcast person that you're kind of rooting for the whole time. One of my favorite small pieces of evidence, or maybe this is just a little reference they put in, who knows, is in the first episode how Buffy is introduced to us is she's changing schools. And this is actually another little, the producers putting in something for the fans. In the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, which was not Sarah Michelle Gellar, it was a completely different thing, and they kind of changed some of the aspects of how the vampires and, and isn't stuff. Luke Perry in it? Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's Luke Perry, which is also fun. But they like changed some parts of the like Vampire Slayer lore just a little bit. But one of the things that happens in the movie is that she burns down the gym at her school, and then when Buffy the Vampire Slayer the TV show started with whole new actress, kind of not related entirely besides the fact that it's the same character in the loosest form. In the first episode, you see her arriving at her new school with her transcripts and they read that she burned down the gym, which was another fun little wink to the audience. 
All the kids here are free to call me Bob. Bob. But they don't. I know my transcripts are a little colorful. Hey, we're not caring about that. You think uh, colorful is the word? Not uh, dismal? Wasn't that bad. You burned down the gym. I did. I really did. But, but you're not seeing the big picture here. I mean, that gym was full of vampire... Asbestos. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Perfect line delivery. <laughs> I love Sarah Michelle Geller so much. But another little tidbit that we get when we go back to the Riverdale universe. This is from episode like three. Jughead gets called to the sheriff and this is what they recap for us. What did surprise me was this. Your prints are on file from an incident that happened six years ago where you spent some time at the Riverdale Juvenile Delinquent Center. For uh Attempting to burn down Riverdale Elementary School. I was playing with matches. And that's a pretty tenuous connection for a sheriff. Well, Principal Weatherby also allowed me to have a look at your school records. You have a long and rough history, Mr. Jones. Bullied a lot. Yeah. My name is Jughead. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also so funny, because his name is not Jughead. That is a nickname he chooses to go by. Not that Forsyth is better. Yeah. But I didn't have much of a choice there. (laughs) Oh, Juggy. Two perfect interactions, honestly. Also, their name is also, like, funny. Like, Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. When I think they only maybe once in the show does anyone ever go, what kind of name is Buffy? And good question, but she really rocks it. Yeah, it's perfect for her. Yeah. But yeah, I think that that is an important connection between them um, for fun. Yeah, that's just a fun little. And, you know, to be fair, it is, it does happen like within the first couple episodes for both of them. So I do think that's fun that they were like, adding as part of both these characters backstories that they burned down some part of their school like that's fun mm-hmm. but <laughs> much like the sheriff that is our tenuous connection yeah and here's the part where i'm gonna open my computer and type for a second open that computer <laughs> and type for a second so i wait where would i have put this screenshot <laughs> here it is so i was on um r slash riverdale and i was just like seeing if anyone else had similar thoughts about riverdale and buffy um and then what i was trying to look for was where they said jughead had burned down the gym because i remembered that they said it at some point and so i'm like searching this on riverdale reddit and i'm just gonna read a small series of posts IDK. I was under the impression that it was a small fire, so it probably didn't get much notice from the town. But they could definitely turn it into something bigger. Talking about the significance of the fire. Someone responds to that. Since Jughead attended elementary school post-Columbine, I could see the school making a huge deal out of a small fire. I'm sure he had some behavioral problems, but I believe him when he said he was just playing. And then someone else responded. I just saw it as a nod to Buffy and what got Buffy Summers ejected from her high school. Maybe he was just trying to burn some witches when she clearly said it was vampires. But anyway, that's I thought that so was funny. Just an incredible little Reddit exchange. <laughs> also, they're right. Believe Jughead. Believe Jughead. 
But they're also right that it was a post-Columbine era, Mm -hmm. which brings us to our second comparison. Season three, episode 18 of Buffy, Earshot. It's an episode that was actually supposed to air a week after, so on April 27th it was supposed to air, but Columbine happened on April 20th of that year. And so they couldn't air it because that episode deals with a plot line where Buffy gains the ability to read minds and hears someone say that they're going to kill everyone in the school. So it becomes a school shooter episode, which obviously was very topical, but they didn't know how topical it would be. So it was delayed. It actually was completely left out of the third season when it aired live and wound up instead airing like a week or so before the fourth season. That's crazy. And actually, they so they omitted that episode entirely from the season. And they also actually had to delay the finale of the season, which comes out a month after Columbine because at the end of the third season, like they blow up the entire high school. And so it's interesting how much this show that was dealing with kind of this like uniting teen angst of hating high school all of a sudden had to respond to this really serious thing that was going on in the late 90s. And I just thought that was super interesting for talking about this episode. It's kind of unrelated to Riverdale entirely. Well, but I was going to say, like, I do think that's an interesting thing that has happened with teen shows more as of late. Like, I know Heathers, which is not a show I watched, but like that kept happening to that. Did it even come out? I thought it just I think was maybe canceled it was entirely. canceled because it was so like everyone was just like, we literally can't do this. Yeah. Like there's a reason Heather's was not made in the mid two thousands. Yeah. And then I know with 13 reasons why that was like also a thing. And in the most recent season of stranger things, it happened right after the shooting in Texas with like all the little kids Oh god! and they didn't delay it or anything. But at the very beginning of stranger things, there's like a, like a lot of little kids die. And they, like, put up a warning that was, like, this is going to show child death. Like, that is very distressing. But I do think it's this, like, that's such an interesting shift of, like, like, I don't know. Also, watching the Buffy episode Earshot just now, like, I do think it's an, I don't know. It's just so sad that they're, like, oh, school shooting is almost trendy now. Like, and it's such a prevalent issue. And it's just, like, oh, it's exactly the same. Like, well, and also that they're saying that a week before what would come to define the issue for the rest of us. If you ask most kids our age, like, what's, like, the first school shooting? People would probably say Columbine. Totally. Like, I was thinking about that in the episode and didn't know that that... Yeah. Like, that's wild. That's so sad. Yeah. And also just that thing of now that, like, these mass shootings have happened in public places have happened so much, like small quote-unquote shootings like don't get reported anymore and it's Mm -hmm. just this thing of like we are building up a callus surrounding it and it's incredibly fucked up yes we both just listened to the most recent you're wrong about episode i actually listened to that like two weeks ago when the bonus version came out because i have a subscription so i know that you have a subscription and i love that yeah i talk about it all the time (laughs) (laughs) the podcastification of marisa this is a shout out to my friend Alexa who doesn't listen to this podcast I because she doesn't like Riverdale, but <laughs> she recommended the podcast You're Wrong About to me. And for a very long time, I famously, I like didn't listen to podcasts, which is like 
extremely annoying to do as a person with a podcast. But then Alexa kept telling me that I had to listen to this show. And then at the end of the summer, I like was moving. So I started listening to podcasts because what else are you gonna do when you're just packing up tiny things for hours on end? And it is such a good podcast, it is perfect. And it turned me into a, a podcast listener this summer. Um, I mean, I was also living alone, so mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. But yeah, now I like put earbuds in and listen to podcasts often. It's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Anyway, uh, that was a plug for You're Wrong About. And they actually, actually, that's so relevant. They have an episode on Columbine. That is probably why I remember these things, because besides the episode, I don't know what the last time I looked at the facts about Columbine were. Mm -hmm. But one thing that they talk about on that show is how the Columbine shooters were mischaracterized as these like goth rejects who had been bullied and that that became the thing of like every kid you know that wears black and sits quietly is going to be a school shooter and then you know throughout the years as people look more closely and actually talk to the people that knew these kids they find out like they were bullies and extremely racist and i think it's actually so interesting that Buffy, with this episode written pre-Columbine, actually does a thing that, like, dispels three huge myths that Columbine creates, which is, like, three of the people that they think are going to be the school shooter in the Buffy episode, three of the people they interview are a goth kid who runs the newspaper um, and who writes such amazing headlines as apathy on the rise, no one cares. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So they think it's going to be the goth kid. It's not him. They then think it's going to be the gay kid. Not him. He's like, I love being out. My grandma is trying to set me up with boys. Yeah, like he's totally chilling, super happy. And then the person that they spend the most time and who it really looks like it's going to be is this kid who's insanely bullied. And, you know, like Buffy thinks it's him. He's in a clock tower with a rifle And she has this whole, like, heart-to-heart with him about how, like, he thinks other people's lives are... Because he basically is like, oh, yeah, it must be so hard being you, being all beautiful and athletic. Which is also just a funny way of saying, I don't understand why you're so supernaturally strong. (laughs) But, like, she's like, no, everyone hates their lives. And I know because I can read everyone's mind right now. Ultimately, not him either. He was just gonna kill himself... At school, very dramatically. But the the lunch lady was going to rat poison them all. Yeah. And I think that it's really interesting that if you think about, you know, our cultural ideas about school shootings is we're like, it's probably, and about the Columbine shooters, kind of the myth that was created was like, they were goth kids who were bullied and maybe they were in love with each other. Ooh, you should be scared of all the weird gay people you know. Which is like, don't be scared of all the weird gay people. You know, they're probably harmless. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like way too into their squishmallows and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and what they ultimately end up saying about people that are trying to kill massive amounts of people in one fell swoop is that they probably are going through a mental health crisis and can't totally be reasoned with at that moment and just need to not rat poison the entire high school. Mm-hmm. So like that, the main plot of the episode is focused on the school shooting, but 
kind of tangential to that, Buffy can read minds for the episode, yes. which is the like biggest connection, one of the biggest connections to Riverdale that we wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, that's why we've been talking about this for the past 10 minutes or whatever. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention that. Um, she basically, because she's like scratched by this demon that can communicate telepathically, she develops the ability to read people's minds. And we talked about this a lot when Jughead first gained his ability to read minds in Riverdale, because like, there are so many different ways that shows choose to communicate how you hear people's thoughts. Like voiceover is a classic, but then in situations where you've got like a mind reading aspect going on, you have to like, they have to figure out basically how they think thoughts are formed and exist without verbalization, which is super interesting. Mm -hmm. Because can any of us really say exactly what shape or sound our thoughts take before we express them verbally? You know? Yeah, I feel like that's always like a classic thing where someone's like, oh my god, you think in full sentences? I think in images. I'm special. And I just don't know. Like, to be honest, I don't know how thoughts work. They just kind of happen. I feel like it. it's both and neither at the same time. And that's because it's really hard to define something that's completely intangible by the ways that we preserve those ideas and mm -hmm. stuff, you know? But I do think Riverdale and Buffy handle it in really similar ways, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Like, with both of them, it kind of takes a minute to set in. And then at first... Jughead and Buffy are both kind of excited. Like, at mm -hmm. first, it's kind of a good power. Jughead especially has a little more control than Buffy does. Like, he can kind of tap into people at the beginning. But then the same thing happens to both of them, where they suddenly can hear everyone's thoughts, and it gets insanely overwhelming, and they need to isolate because they are going crazy. And it is, yeah. like, truly breaking them. Yeah. One key difference, actually, I think, between the way Riverdale does it and Buffy does it is Buffy has all these moments where basically there's one large scene and maybe we'll put in some clips of when they're kind of doing an exposition of how each character thinks versus speaks. And so, you know, you get people that are thinking anxious thoughts that like they don't want other people to think. Xander's just thinking about sex and one and like Oz has a great little philosophical moment where that I unfortunately wrote an entire paper about in high school because I was that insufferable, um, where he's thinking like, I am my thoughts. Well, we'll just put it in. But, you know, his we think therefore Buffy is moment where he's like, are any of us real? Are we made more real by her knowing our thoughts as well? Like, who is Buffy anymore? Is she having her own thoughts? Like, what's happening? And then the only person whose thoughts function as they do in Riverdale is Cordelia, who thinks everything she is about to say right before she says it. Well, and Jughead can hear stuff that people aren't going to mm -hmm. say, but he can always hear what people are about to say. Yeah. But I do really like that they did that with Cordelia. Yeah. yeah where they did that with Cordelia, where they're like, no, she's straight up, she's speaking it. She's very honest mm -hmm. and, you know, to a fault sometimes, but I love her. Whatever. I wonder when I can go. Whatever. Can I go? Yeah, and they imply that everyone else in Riverdale basically thinks the things they're about to say are things they've just thought, like a there's a second delay. 
I think it's funny to imagine that like maybe there is a type of person where that's how their brain works is like it's just the things they're about to say most of the time and that type of person is the same type of beautiful slightly vapid person as the character Cordelia or the characters on Riverdale who are not super three-dimensional all the time. What? I can't have layers? I like in Riverdale that their thoughts work like that also because I feel like coming from the comic book medium how so many in comic books you have so many like little air bubbles that have like a complete thought like spelled out. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cute like that that's how it works. Another similarity between them, this is truly a one-off line, but we're in it. No, it's really good. I know what you're about to say. Is that Buffy at one point is describing how it feels and she's like, it feels like there are tons of open doors into people's minds, which is how it is conceptualized in Riverdale. Yeah, I literally feel like they watched this episode as a Riverdale team and then were like, let's do that. Another reason why I think season seven of Riverdale... Season six of Riverdale. Season six of Riverdale is like Buffy. I mean, we have so many reasons to run down. There's just this general thing of like throughout the season, they keep talking about the big bad, which is a little phrase that was popularized through Buffy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a direct reference. And also like there are a lot of slang words either invented or popularized by Buffy. Like the phrase Google as a verb was a willow line. And that was the first time it was ever used. Like go Google it, I'll Google it. So that's just a fun example of a Buffy slang that became the ubiquitous verb for looking something up. Another fun connection is we see this thing in the most recent season of Riverdale where they're trying to depict like a kiss of death which is a thing that is put in some of the Monster of the Week characters. There's Inca Mummy Girl who delivers a very literal kiss of death. And then there's also the Praying Mantis Woman, which I think we will wind up talking about when we do our Praying Mantis Veronica Mm -hmm. episode. And then one big thing that also happens in season six of Riverdale, they announce that there's a fucking Hellmouth under Pops. That is a direct Buffy reference. And then... I mean, we were like screaming when this was happening, but in the episode, the witches in Riverdale, many of them die, but Jughead in particular, again, the Jughead Buffy of it all, but Jughead dies, goes to heaven. They're like, Jughead, you have to come back from heaven. He's like, no, I literally like it here, which is, I'm going to play a little Buffy musical episode here. But I just love the plot of dying and then your friends are like, we need you back. And they're like, no, I literally like it here. Please, I'm going to be mad at you. It's actually, I feel like a much more like kind of a more like accepting view of death where I really like what Buffy says about it. Like, it's not just about her being in heaven, but basically she dies at the end of season five and her friends raise her from the dead. And she's super confused at first, obviously super traumatized because they thought the spell didn't work, basically just let her wake up in a coffin. She had to crawl her way out. That's horrifying. And then she's telling Spike, who's a vampire, so he also died and then came back, that like she was like, I was so tired. Like I was fighting evil all the time. And season five is a really rough season for Buffy. So yeah, I would understand her being incredibly tired. And she was like, 
and I was at peace. Like, I did my thing and I was done. Which, especially for a slayer, makes a lot of sense, because as a slayer, you understand you're just a link in the long chain of slayers where the next one will be called as soon as you die. So, like, there is this sense of renewal, but also that you finished your part of the deal, mm -hmm. you know? And, like, Jughead also is, like, in his little heaven, and he's just like, no, like, I, I feel done. Like, I want to stay here. <laughs> And then she's like, but can I have your body? <laughs> can I have your body, please? <laughs> yeah. And that was very Buffy, I think. Because also, like, that is a super interesting thing to think about. Because as an audience, you also want these characters back. But you're kind of put in the position of, like, yeah, I'm just like her friends who are selfish enough that they didn't even think about the fact that she might have opinions over whether she fucking lives or dies. Also, especially in Buffy and, like, the lore of the Slayer, it is this thing of, like, okay, well, I'm not, like, abandoning the world. Yeah. Because there is this new person who is going to take my place. And even though that's messy, and, but, like, and that's ultimately how Buffy is resolved, is it's, like, we are going to have so many Slayers. Yeah. And well, They kind of change it. But I wonder, like, which actually is... Even though I love the ending of Buffy because it is like every girl's a slayer and also community, etc. But like, I do think that there is something that's actually kind of like, I don't know, like very, you know, also community based. That's like, yeah, like you have this role of like protecting the people around you, but like there will always be someone after you. Like, it's okay. You can die. Mm -hmm. You're not going, you're not doing something bad. Like we understand. And it makes it so that life is all this cycle that like is very natural. Although I will say there is that heartbreaking moment at the very end of season one in Prophecy Girl when Buffy reads the prophecy that she's going to die. And like Sarah Michelle Geller just like acts the fuck out of this scene and it's just beautiful and she's like i'm 16 i don't want to die like i'm not just the slayer i'm a fucking 16 year old mm -hmm. no i do think that's always the hard part of media like this where like I, like i just think that's interesting where it's always like short lifespans are like the thing that gets talked about in like media there was this book i read in high school where it was like the kids who exist on the edge of like a world that has chosen ones mm. and they're like we know we're not chosen ones because we have really normal names like we aren't <laughs> cursed by this and they're like literally just like having prom while this world is ending oh my and God. it's like it's like honestly i enjoyed it a lot that's also very very buffy and riverdale vibes having prom during the apocalypse yes well and it's just funny because i do think both shows kind of build out the extra people who are just there mm -hmm. where it's like oh yeah like other people have to live in this world too and i feel like they do that especially in buffy where everyone gets kind of used to the things happening and they're just like well yeah like this is our lives this is where our life is so we're not gonna leave yeah and it is interesting because they're walking a line in buffy between do the other people in this town understand what's happening or do they not and like some like normal people end up dabbling with the darker forces in sunnydale like for example, the character we're talking about in Earshot, who goes to kill himself, then, like, later becomes someone who, at the very beginning, he's an absolute extra. And then he becomes, like, one of the main characters. You fucking hate him by the end, but he's fun at first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
But like, yeah, they really do that thing where they're like, we both want to talk about what it would be like to be the chosen one in her best friends and what it would be like to be just a rando who has to like find out that the world is a lot more complicated than they were told. Speaking of chosen one and her best friends, Mm -hmm. we need to talk about the Riverdale finale and the finale of season four. Nope, the pre-finale. The penultimate The penultimate episode. episode. Yeah. Yes. So, what a set of episodes. Uh, we watched three. We watched The Yoko Factor, Primeval, and then Restless. Were you talking about Riverdale and the other one? No, I was okay. talking about... Good. <laughs> but I mean also Riverdale. Like, what? yeah, the group of episodes leading up to the finale yeah. in season four of Buffy are so fun. The Yoko effect is so fun because Spike is just spreading gossip yeah. about everyone to each other, and it really works. It's really tearing them apart. Buffy has this great line where she's like... Oh, disclaimer, Yoko Ono did not break up the Beatles. Yoko Ono is perfect, and I love her. End of disclaimer. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Buffy has this great line where she's like, I guess I'm starting to understand why there's no ancient prophecy about a chosen one and her friends. It's so good. But that episode is very fun. Then we get the pre-finale, where basically Spike was trying to break them up because he was like, Buffy and her friends can do anything. Like, he was like, if through the power of love and friendship. I think I have a little clip of him talking about them. This is Spike talking about Buffy and her friends. She's crafty, her and a little friend. Friends. There's your, what you call it, variable. The Slayer's got pals. You want her evening the odds in a fight? You don't want a Slayerette's mucking about. I love Slayerettes. Yeah, which is, you know, what he's talking about is also that Buffy is a different Slayer than there have been in this chain of Slayers because they're supposed to live isolated lives and not let other people in in order to not put them in danger. But, like, Buffy is accidentally, really, just winds up exposing other people to the world and they then are like, no, actually, it's kind of going to be hard for me to go back to my normal life now. And they all become best friends, and it's very cute. And it's a group of four. It's a classic core four. If you're including Giles. Okay. I was just wondering whether you were including Giles or Cordelia. Well, for season four, Giles. Yeah, for because, season four. Because, so ultimately, they realize that Spike did his little Yoko Onoing again, non-derogatory. Yoko Ono, affectionate. <laughs> they realize this, they, re- they all kind of talk and are like, we do love each other. And they realize that they need to become one in order to win. And like, literally through the power of love and friendship, that is how they're going to defeat the big bad of the season. They need to become an uber buffy. And so they each use one of their special powers because, you know, everyone brings strength into the friendship. And like Piper once said on this podcast in Riverdale, if Archie, if they were a body, Archie would be the heart, Jughead would be the brains, and Betty and Veronica would be the tits. I don't know if I agree with that, but... Shout out to Piper Sato. What a quote. I was just thinking we need to assign who they are. In terms of Riverdale? Mm -hmm. So in the Buffy episode, what they... The thing they realize they need to defeat this super big bad is all of their powers. Buffy, the hand, the strength. Giles, the The brain. The brain, yes, because, you know, he's smart. Willow, the spirit. Yeah, because she can do magic. And Xander, the heart. Yeah, because 
he doesn't have any special skills. Because he brings them together. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, going by that, it's like Jughead is Buffy. Yeah. Which we've already established. Well. But Archie's also kind of Buffy. I think Jughead's the brain. Yeah. No, I was, that's why I was reworking it. Because Jughead's the brain. Archie's definitely the heart. But also he's. Who's the hand? That's the, I guess Betty. Oh, Betty. Betty works as the hand. (gasps) Betty Buffy. Betty Buffy. I mean, I do think one important thing we didn't talk about with Buffy is just the intent of the show. Like one of the original stated things was Joss Whedon was like, no, I want the blonde girl that usually dies first to actually be the hero. And I think that's something that uh, Archie also does to kind of rehabilitate the Betty of the comics, who's this meek girl next door. They take some of her qualities and turn them into the qualities that, like, make her a person who tortures men in her shed and stuff. I do like that the goal of Riverdale is so to twist them. And it's like, if we take these things to their, like, bitter end, what do we get from that? And it's like, you get this Betty who is so fucked up. And it's like, (laughs) oh, I'm the girl next door. And then, like, they kill it immediately yeah which is so fun like i do like that they start from this place that is so evil already yeah like even in season one but also i just was thinking you need to draw betty and veronica in buffy and faith costumes (gasps) you're so right and buffy and faith in betty Betty, oh my god oh my god this is a really good idea this is a really good idea Stay stay on the lookout for some fan art, guys. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> but anyway, they combine all their powers, and it's really beautiful, and it's a perfect episode, and they defeat the evil with all of their powers, just like they did on Riverdale when they realized that Cheryl's not strong enough by herself. They do it all. And, okay, also, it's obviously a reference to Marvel Comics, and I will not even say Marvel movies. I will say specifically Marvel Comics, because, uh, we, like, that is where R.A.S. is coming from, is, like, he loves superhero comics. And I don't know his opinions on the movies, but I feel like since he's not making them, <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> like them. But, like, they, they, they're very much doing some superhero imagery in particular with Cheryl. Again, I literally don't care about Marvel Comics, so, like, who knows? <laughs> but I also think they're doing, like, it's just such a cute, the power of love and friendship thing where they're all combining their powers in order to defeat the big bad, which at this point, at first they've combined all of their powers to defeat Percival, but then they combine all of their powers to defeat a comet. And you know what? Cheryl does it while wearing a very buffy coat a long yes yeah it's so good honestly i'm gonna look up a picture right now and then she's wearing a red leather coat which is like i don't think buffy has a red leather one it's she, like brown well leather. she has a she has a black leather one that's this length mm-hmm. but she has red leather pants and I, so they're kind of combining both i do think that's another thing tying the shows together i know we mentioned it briefly but like the importance of fashion in yeah. the shows and also just looking good like very consistently everyone is looking good I, Thinking about Do Revenge also and how good Camila Mendes looked in every shot. It was good. And they really had one of those moments where they let the two best friends talk about how they wanted to, like, let Sarah Michelle Gellar run them over with her car. I want her to, like, hit me with her Tesla and then reverse back over me. I want her to stuff me like a taxidermy doll and then mount me on her wall like a prize. 
I want her to hide my body in the woods and then start the search party trying to find me. Ooh, good one. And that was honestly the most, like, I felt really seen by that. Everyone's <laughs> obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's yeah. the Sarah Michelle Gellar renaissance. Yeah. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. I just read this really good article that was about New York Fashion Week and Tom Ford and tackiness and how, like, Tom Ford actually does tackiness really well. But it was also just about how, like, Americans love camp. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's, like, our altar is, like, that is what we want in all of our media for it to be as campy as possible. And I was like, that is so true. But I think that it's because if you accept things as campy, you're allowed to push the limits of whatever you want. And... That's a really reject good taste a little bit. Yeah, and that's just a fun place to be. I feel like it's the same thing where like I'm just so happy that Riverdale like death is not a consequence anymore. And like was it ever? Because again, like everyone's always getting reanimated. Like Jughead has died every season. Yeah. I mean, it's a little like Buffy where there are very real deaths and you're like living in a small town with an unnatural amount of death and disaster. And that is kind of hanging over it. But for our main characters, they can die and be reanimated multiple times, although there are some very tragic deaths in Buffy. But well, and when you have a meaningful death, it mm -hmm. counts for something because all the other ones don't. Yeah. Like, that's what's kind of fun. And so many people in Buffy die. But then, like, you have these ones that are actually meaningful. Yeah. Because they don't happen all the time to the main characters. Yeah. Well, now you just made me sad. I know. Because we both know what we're talking about. We both do. Anyway. <laughs> Rewatching Buffy is so fun, both because I just miss that form of television a little bit, but also, like, I don't know. Well-made teen shows are so fun. And, like, yeah. I, I also love Riverdale so much, obviously. Yeah. But, like... I mean, and they both do that thing of being, like having this perspective of which happens in a lot of teen shows you know the teenagers are dealing with things that are bigger than the adults around them can understand and i think that both of these shows really do a do a job <laughs> <laughs> of being like you know what young people are thinking things too and like they have their own lives and it can be like super frustrating to be treated as not an independent person when you have your independent consciousness and relationships and you're still living in your parents' house and you're Betty and Archie staring at each other in their windows across the way. Also, both shows do a decent job with like having adult characters that are in the kids' lives and yes. that are fleshed out as well. Because I feel like it is really obvious when you're watching teen media and then you're like, wait, but where are the parents? Yeah. Or like, I don't know, it just, it's like, the, I. Not that there have to be parents all the time, but it's just always funny. And yeah. I think that both Riverdale and Buffy do a good job of being like, there are these adults that care about them and they're still having a hard time. Like, it can yeah. be both. Yeah. I mean, my whole entire heart will always belong to Giles. I know. He's just a good a good guy. Fun fact about Marisa, her name on Webkins is Giles. <laughs> okay, my name on Webkins is only Giles because my pets are named Buffy, Willow, and Xander, and who else is taking care of them? I don't think that was as good of a defense as I thought it was. <laughs> no, but I wanted you to say it because it would really finish my <laughs> point for me. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, here's another fun fact. 
Uh, Jane Espenson, who's one of the writers on Buffy, who has written like a lot of the best episodes, she wrote Earshot. And she said that she added in the whole uh, interaction where Buffy reads her mom's mind and finds out that her mom and Giles had sex because on the fan boards, the fans were like, did they have sex? Like they were like super unsure. And she was like, I thought I made it abundantly clear in Band Candy that they did have sex, but like... I guess we'll have to revisit that just so I can make sure to confirm all the rumors. That's so cute. <laughs> Everyone should watch Band Candy. Even if you don't watch Buffy, it's literally just such a good episode of television. Yeah, it's perfect. Watch Band Candy. Um, and then if you're up for it, you can watch Earshot. It's a good episode. There's a lot of great lines because you've, you know, season three, when they have the whole gang, they've got Cordelia and Oz. That's peak. I love it's that so shit. It's so good. Yeah. Any last? Oh, also one final connection. The musical episode that yes. Buffy did, which is such a crucial addition to the television landscape. Yeah, but... it was one of the first musical episodes of a show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Riverdale, you know, we're barely not getting a musical episode every episode. Yeah. Like, every episode's a musical episode. But I, I do think that the way that Buffy did the musical episode is so incredibly fun and I also think the way that Riverdale does its musical episodes are very fun where like at this point now they're just singing songs yeah. whenever but at the beginning it was really like we are putting on a musical and it's having deep effects on yeah. our relationships with each other yeah the Buffy musical episode is slightly different because they're not singing songs from another musical which is what Riverdale does they have a little like spell cast on them by this demon where they just like keep singing all their feelings into songs and it's really fun it's so good that's another episode recommendation once mm -hmm. more with feeling it's perfect it's one of my favorite episodes yeah. of any television just because it's it's so creative like i do yeah. think that is the really fun thing about buffy is it is so wildly creative in terms yeah. of, like, the limits they push television to. Oh, yeah. And, like, they did a lot of stuff that was very, like, controversial for its time. Like, even just having a character who's gay and, like, has an on-screen romance. And, like, and who's gay specifically who's a lesbian. Because, you know, we were having gay male characters long before we were having lesbians that like got to have real meaningful relationships on screen and like i just love them also cheryl and willow are both red-headed lesbian witches mm -hmm. and what does that mean paving the way for red-headed lesbian witches honestly yeah a crucial demographic any red-headed lesbian witches out there right don't. in <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> any last thoughts Everyone should watch Buffy, and most people should watch Riverdale. Everyone should watch Buffy, but only most people should mm -hmm. watch Riverdale. And most people should also watch Do Revenge. I'm not joking, that movie oh, banged. Everyone should watch Do Revenge. It's very good. And, and it has such a good soundtrack. I know. And, like, even the parts of it, like, there's Olivia Rodrigo in the soundtrack, and I thought it was good, mm -hmm. you know? And that's big coming from Marisa. Thank you. I'm Someone who said person. she would divorce me over owning the sour record it's my record player you're not gonna play your sour record on my record player after i already had to listen to driver's license all throughout the pandemic 
Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, Buffy and Riverdale, a match made in heaven. Yeah. The the heaven where Buffy and Jughead were. Yeah. And I do love when they ask her questions about heaven and they're like, do you think she just walked around wearing Birkenstocks all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's heaven is different. Everyone's heaven. As if Buffy wouldn't look so cute in heaven. Yeah, Buffy would look amazing in heaven. She'd probably look a little bit like she did in the prom episode or mm-hmm. in Prophecy Girl in her little white dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, maybe that's the end of our episode. Bye! Bye.